Justin Peterson. And I'm Brian Lee. Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast, where we traverse the rich historical legacy of voice training from the greatest minds and teachers of the art. Each episode features lively conversation, fascinating historical insights, and practical application for today's singer. Hi, Brian. Hey, Justin. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Just fine. How has your life been going? Oh, I'm seeing all kinds of little fun specks of light at the end of the tunnel. I think there's uh, good things coming. So that's good. Yeah, I'm 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 on the optimistic side of disaster recovery. <laughs> You mean the light at the end of the tunnel isn't an oncoming train? I don't know yet. And okay, maybe we'll I'll find just, out. I'll just we'll keep it out. that way. Yeah, indeed. So the other day I was watching um, Mamma Mia. Have you seen that musical film with Meryl Streep? No, but I've seen the stage show version. Oh, okay. Yep. It's like a big party, right? That whole film yep. is just yep. like a fun party. And it just makes you realize how much, how great ABBA is. And there's so much fun. And um, what... Uh, was fun to me was watching Meryl Streep sing in this in this movie, oh, and yeah. it reminded me of the fact that Meryl Streep worked for about four years with Estelle Liebling in mm-hmm. New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our listeners who may not know, Estelle Liebling was a very famous voice teacher who worked with um, Matilda Marchese, mm-hmm. and so she came out of that Manuel Garcia school. Yeah. Um, and one of um, Liebling's students was Beverly Sills. And right. she started working with Beverly Sills at the age of eight or nine, really young. And she was Beverly Sills' only voice teacher. And she, uh, Beverly, studied with her until she died uh, when, when Sills was quite established in her career. She was still taking lessons. Yeah. 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 And um, so I always laugh at the, f- I think that, I think Meryl talks about going to see Beverly Sills at New York City Opera and Beverly's singing was just so incredible that Meryl was like, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm done. But I just love that she had that link to uh, Estelle Liebling, which yeah. I think is such an, because uh, I think Meryl Streep lived in New Jersey. So she would come into the city and take lessons with Estelle Liebling, um, you know, I think once a week or so. So, real. I just love when th- when lives collide like that. I think yeah. that's so fascinating. Yeah, and fun to see how people's lives intersect. Oh, totally. But um, I was, uh, of course, like the voice nerd I am. I thought, oh my gosh, you know what I haven't looked at in a long time are, are those Estelle Liebling vocal courses. These those blue right books. Yep. Right. That you can still buy. They're still in print. Um, and I just was going through them. I had this the baritone one when I was in high school. And I used to like go through these little scales and sing. And I used to remember feeling so frustrated because I could never figure out the cover. You know, because in the uh-huh. book she talks about, do the cover like this. And I was like, I can't do it. So <laughs> I remember feeling so frustrated. Turns out you can't learn to sing from a book, Brian. Who knew? Oh, my um, gosh. So anyway, no, I've been revisiting them. And they're just really clever and um, lots of fun. They have a, a lot of... Uh, uh, each one is different, which I like. So it wasn't like uh, she had published one book and said, okay, here is for everybody. She's sort of changed things up for each voice type. Mm-hmm. So, and she includes the the um, coloratura soprano, the lyric soprano, and the dramatic soprano in one volume. Uh, same with the tenors and the baritones and the and the altos, mezzos. So it's it's like everybody gets in there the same. But everything is predicated on, on agility for her. Yes. So, which is great. Uh, which is, I mean, obviously that's the training that she came out of, that Marchese... Uh, school of um, virtuosity um, but it's uh, it's fun to look at these and it really kind of got me thinking about uh, vocal vocalese and vocal collections yeah. and their use uh, in the studio and how they can be of use and how they can be of misuse sure um, yeah that'd be great to talk um, about dis you know dis uh, abused I guess you could say <laughs> um, used as the, a weapon yes exactly well <laughs> Yeah, because if you, there was a time I would go, I was really curious about these vocalese collections, so I would go on YouTube, and I'd go down rabbit holes listening to people vocalize on these different vocal uh, collections, right? Uh And the singing was not so good, right? So you'd get these teachers who would be like, okay, now we're going to do Panofka, or we're going to do Conconi, or we're going to do whatever, Marchese, and the singing wasn't good. So I think this taps into something that Cornelius Reed said, which I think is so important when we're thinking about vocal vocalese collections is that um, people work on these collections thinking that the collection has powers to make their voice awesome. Yes. 
and I think that's the that's the the the, the snare that gets most people uh, because I, I hear a lot of badly sung vocalese. Yeah. Uh, so to me, me to me, the Italian tradition, as I understand it, is that they work to perfect the voice as a, as a physical thing first, and then you bring that into the music. Um, so the, you know the perfecting of the tone, for example, you know would take months and months and months for them to really uh, exercise the voice in such a way as to free up the throat, to free up the mm-hmm. uh, you know the registration, all that jazz. So um, I think that the damage is when you sit down at the piano and you go, "I'm going to do the Marchese," and you don't have a voice that can maybe deal with that, and so you right. sing it in the key that it's written in, uh, right? Which is invariably C major for most things. Um, and C major may not be amenable to your voice, and so <laughs> maybe it's too high, too low. So we become very um, slavish to what's written on the page, and I think that um, that's the danger with vocalese collections. Yeah. Is that we get too literal with them. And the, the sense of um, graded, you know, the, mm. that, that there needs to be a sequence according to your ability. This is an ultra-important thing in instrumental music training, you know, there's um, like in flute, for example, which is where I got a couple degrees. Um, you know, the Anderson Opus 15 is like at the top of the food chain of the Anderson Etudes. Mm. And there's a sequence you would go through to get there. If you start with Opus 15, it's going to be grinding your gears in frustration because they're, they're building blocks to get there. Um, with flute, like with uh, bel canto voice agility is a huge component but also uh tone dynamic ability mm-hmm. legato 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 mm-hmm. um the the values of these old vocalises are very similar to what was going on in uh instrumental training also mm. it's um i think something for me that well, I came to know them because of the Callas master classes. So Maria Callas in, um, did those master classes in 1971, and actually, as part mm-hmm. of her uh, summer homework for everybody, she gave them Conconia Panofka to do. Okay, all right. And that they were to work on that over summer, over the summer. And you know, her objective or her sort of uh, argument was: it's supposed to help unify the voice, right? Mm-hmm. Smooth out the voice, mm-hmm. but also to teach you musical language. Yes. Right. That these vocalies are what she compared them to Czerny, or Czerny, I think is how you say it. The the pianist uh, that has a lot of those vocal... Yep. It's sort of like the Hannon. There's like Hannon and Czerny, I think is Cher- how you say it. Well, I've, probably, I've heard Czerny, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. And so they, they, they teach the fingering, like how to strengthen your fourth finger, which for pianists it's always the, you know, the bete noir is to try mm-hmm. to get that fourth finger to be stronger. Yep. Um, but they are a plethora of musical um, germs, basically, that you can use to bring into the repertoire. It sort of sort of helps answer questions that you might see in repertoire later on. Yeah, yeah. It gives you a lot, not, not only practice on executing strings of notes and, and mechanical feats, but also snippets of phrases. You know, it, it introduces th- these, a lot of these that you're going to talk about today, uh, at least according to the huddle we had earlier, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, are, are, are really great at introducing... Uh, phrasing ideas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, the first volumes of things that I want to talk about were, are from Heinrich Panofka, and Heinrich Panofka, he was um, uh, he was born in Breslau, which is uh, I believe Poland. Um, uh, I believe no Breslau, Germany. Excuse me, that's in Germany. Um, and he was a violinist and a voice teacher and a writer on music and a composer. Mm. Um, we largely know him today. Um, from he did write, I believe, some operas too. I did believe he wrote some operas, but he's mostly known for his vocalese collections. And the one that I want to start off looking, uh, talking about first of all is this vocal ABC. And his vocal ABC is what we see a lot of in um, uh, in the mice, uh, the masters who wrote a lot about uh, vocal technique or pedagogy. Sometimes they would have like a sight singing volume. Or some kind, uh, some kind of a vocalization volume, which is just vocalization material. It's uh, scales, so it's nothing that's um, uh, musical per se, but mm-hmm. it is most largely um, technical oriented, technically oriented. So you're getting things like long tones, you're getting things like scales, you're getting intervals. Um, 
what uh, you're getting, um, his ABC, uh, his first exercise, actually his first one, is a teacher and student, which is so fun, a teacher-student imitation. So the teacher sings a pitch, the student imitates the pitch. Uh-huh. So it's ah, uh, ah, uh, the first exercise. Uh-huh. So the teacher does it first, then the student. So it's, that, talk about old. I mean, we know that you know, uh, imitation was one of the early forms of vocal training. <laughs> yeah. Do as, you know, do you know, as long as you have a good model. Right. So um, you go through that and then he goes in, into agility. And I think like Richard Miller, um, Panofka is very early on with the agility. Richard Miller was like, get him, you know, get the voice limbered up quickly first. That was a big uh, sort of thing that he always talked about in his writing. And Panofka kind of echoes that obviously earlier on to, to work on scales and things. So this this book is largely a collection of freeing up the voice uh exercises in scales um exercises in minor scales as well uh exercises that go beyond the octave these are all common too in in all uh these vocaliz- vocalization materials you'll see uh scalar things you'll see um arpeggiated things you'll see triplets those happen a lot uh learning how to manage triplets you'll see portamenti Leaps. how to do a- yeah leaping mm-hmm. um you'll see octave jumps you'll see broken chords um grace notes exactly like uh, the vast language of the of, of the embellishments uh and the abc volume is just that so it really is just what i would cons- call um technical vocal or vocalization material a vocalese to me denotes some kind of musical frame in which the voice is placed it's a composition to me i think of a vocalizzo as sort of a musical has a musical quality to it it's like mm-hmm. a compo- it's like a composition yeah. whereas the a vocal um these vocal exercises or whatever are that are that they're just sort of exercises for the voice um mm-hmm. so you know something like the the, the panofka abc is a great little uh addition to a vocal uh exercise uh toolbox if you were looking for something maybe more um accompanied which is nice sometimes from time to time but again always looking at the idea that you want to transpose for your students as you need to so the first uh, abc is really just to get to know you know uh, scales and so by the time you get to the end of of the volume you start to then get more compositional things start to become more like music uh we do end with um messa di voce and then sort of at the end we get these what, what i would call vocalizzo which are like little songs um, the yeah, uh, other see. volume. Sorry, I just okay. sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, no. Uh, in the ABC, I see that uh, the Mesa di Voce is introduced as number twenty, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> page forty-two. So um, that's interesting to note because in a lot of the so-called methods, you know, where uh, mm-hmm. we see the Mesa di Voce right off the bat, first thing. Right. And I think most teachers today would agree that. A full-fledged Mesa di Voce is a pretty advanced thing yeah, yeah. Um, to master. Uh, and we don't usually, in modern methods, it's never put first. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, we yeah. see it as more difficult. Um, I Yeah. So I don't, and he was also, it's all, I think, in, it may sound silly, but he was a German person writing in an Italian tradition, I think. So he might have, from his own time, have said, oh, you know what, I'm going to put these later in the book. Because you know, the early Italians put them in first, long tones and messa di voce came pretty pretty soon on. Um, from what I can see, they taught the um, management of the breath that way mm-hmm. through the messa di voce and through the long tones. So that's how they taught it, yeah. without recourse to like, oh, do this with your ribs, do that with your stomach. You know what I mean? There wasn't any kind of dialogue of that. It was just take right. a breath and, and sustain a note. Um, yeah. And uh, so yeah, this is. I think the Panofka ABC is sort of just a little collection of scale things. Yeah. The Conconi, uh, there's a Conconi volume as well called 30 Daily Exercises, which is very similar to this as well. That sort of uh, offers up the same kinds of vocalization material scales, um, terzine, uh, triplets, um, portamenti, things like that. Yeah. The, the uh, Conconi 30 Daily Exercises does start off with Mesa di Voce, mm-hmm. like yep. a lot of the, yep. the ones did. And so many of them. Um, I think Garcia, Marchese, and Concone all do the same range for that Mesa di Voce. Mm-hmm. It's, it's middle C up to uh, C4, up to G5, a twelfth, mm-hmm. um, seemed to be the uh, area to master. But um, then after that, it's 
uh, scales, 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 isn't it's it? All scales. Yeah, it's all yeah. ascend- ascending, descending, mm-hmm. rising, falling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sequences uh, yep. like a string of notes starting on do, then on re, then on me. Yeah. yeah. And then doing uh, what I think is kind of uh, uh, one of the Conconi thirty um, eleven here is um, these these um, legato due a due this this uh, two note legato yeah so that kind of learning that kind of articulation yeah um, and and as a part from uh, a more legato phrase so if you're looking at eleven there's this right you're getting your yeah your una voce poco fa libera exactly those kind of double note articulations double legatos uh, and then the book has triplet exercises. Most all of these have triplets. Arpeggios, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, rising, falling, thirds, uh, just, you know, a whole mess of stuff. And then you get into the final part, of, and then you get, obviously, arpeggios. That's always a big, big part of these as well. Preparations for the trill, uh, mm-hmm. working on the trill, uh, which is interesting because these trills start on the note from below. Mm. So uh, in exercises uh, number 24, it starts on a note, but then the beginning of the trill starts a half, a semitone <coughs> below the, the, to the pitch that's being sung. Yeah. So they're trilling from the lower pitch, not and the upper one. an interesting uh, thing with, with uh, vocalists that I started, when I really started to get into listening to opera in college, um, all trills started from a higher note mm-hmm. up through Mozart's time on instruments. So flute, violin, piano, trills always started from above, almost. Depending if the melody moved a certain way into the trill, sometimes it would start on the main note. But usually it was from the upper note. And then after that, um, in the Verdi era, etc., singers still tended to start the trill from the upper note, Um you hear a lot of, ah, you know, they, mm. they, the upper note slightly held and then the trill from there, um, which is interesting because the uh, instrumentalists abandoned that back after the classical period. Mm. Sorry, just a little trivia there. No, you're good. But I mean, <laughs> I, you know, and Collis was always saying, you know, what, how do you start the trill? She said, well, Conconi will tell you. <laughs> so, I mean, if we're asking Conconi, it looks like he says he starts the trill from the semitone below the pitch. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool to see uh, what are what are ways to. Yeah. I mean, a trill is a decoration, and right, and there, right. the, this uh, it's a very lovely, ornamented way to start uh, the trills. You'll, you'll see, uh, dear listeners, if 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 you uh, get these. By the way, I think all the collections we're going to mention today are public domain. Yep, yep, and I think virtually all of them are available on. The Petrucci project, the imslp.org site, right? Yep. Great. Yep. And I think if you just search for Concone or Panofka, you'll come up with all of mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. stuff. And then it's just opening up and looking at them and, and figuring out uh, which ones uh, are best. Yeah. For what your needs are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't recommend working on these in a progressive way. I would probably jump around. A little oh bit. yeah, yeah. Definitely recommend jumping around. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just keeps the keep if the voice. You know, I'm all about you know customization for the voice, <laughs> right? But I think it's always I'm always remembering that these exercises are can be useful. But again, if the voice isn't working well, these are please don't do these. <laughs> right. right. This isn't something you want to jump into. But um, yeah, um, the other Panofka are those. Um, are progressive. There's two volumes of progressive Panofka vocalises, and those are rather um, uh, simple in terms of their scope, but um, uh, they offer a, a kind of an entree into simpler melodic patterns and things. So those can be very uh, helpful as a next step into something approaching song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they look much more composed, and you see that even in the accompaniments uh, are. are quite pianistic um mm, mm. and i think even a teacher who has a rudimentary or you know basic level of piano wouldn't find these too terrible to play right yeah so a teacher who is sort of you know comfortable at the piano because it's a lot of, well i mean pejoratively was hit in college it's a lot of boom chuck right so it's yeah. a lot of boom but 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 
as somebody who sang Norma in a chorus of Norma, that's kind of how Bellini's operas sound on, you know, oh, in yeah. theater. You there, have a lot of boom chuck. A lot of boom chuck, maybe some harp arpeggio, good right, to go. Right, Yeah, and yeah. even those, I always say, you know, like, you know, even Bellini's climaxes, the choruses are mostly off stage. So they're mm. not really competing with the, sing, the, 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 the principal singers too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, but these are just wonderful little romantic vignettes of, of composition. When when we get into the um, uh, Panofka 24 vocalese for soprano, or they, they probably come in different versions as well. I think there's one for um, baritone, tenor, whatever, or baritone, mezzo. Um, these are more um, high level, I would say. Probably upper, in, upper advanced or upper, yeah, definitely lower advanced, upper mm-hmm. intermediate. Mm-hmm. Because now you're really dealing with a lot of scalar stuff and a lot more mu- high-level musical um, uh, difficulty. And I um, think you've dug into the concone more than I have. So uh, can you tell me, uh, I think as far as I know, in these collections we've talked about so far, um, what vowel to sing yeah. on the exercises isn't always specified. No, no. So it's just notes written uh, without words, and you would use the vowels that makes sense for what you're trying to develop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would also say one of the things, and I think we might have mentioned this in one of our earlier podcasts, but something that you might find useful too, at least maybe for the male singer or for the female, is knowing those um, Bozeman articulation or those change points for the different vowels. When you work on these uh, phrases, yeah, you'll say, oh, you know, if you, at least I'm, I'm and obviously I'm talking within a classical context. So if you want to have that more voce Cusa timbre, you can say, okay, well, on this phrase, I'm going to sing this phrase on an A. And then if you have that Bozeman chart handy, handy, you can look at it and say, okay, now where does the A close? And so then when you sing that phrase, you can sort of say, uh uh-uh, uh, you know, you'll be able to know, is that too open? Is that too closed? Or where does it, where does that vowel feel like it's going to turn? Mm-hmm. Or where does the registration feel like it's rota- rotating? Um, so those can be very useful, I think, to, to plan um, different vowels to see where those turning points and those locations are for those different vowel sounds acoustically. So that can be, that can be fun. That's certainly uh, something that has to be uh, dealt with, whether scientifically or otherwise, that acoustic change on all these long scales. Eventually, mm-hmm. all of these collections, the scale patterns become fairly long, like an oh, octave yeah. or more. Oh, and, yeah. and so you have to deal with it above the staff, especially. Absolutely. Yeah, you have yeah. to. Do, I mean, yeah. I mean, they get to the point where they're doing like double octaves. Yeah, and uh, for most all the voice types. So mm-hmm. limber up. <laughs> right. Well, and that was, that was Collis's admission, and, you know, uh, suggestion was that these things keep the voice from becoming, in her words, were wooden. Yeah. The voice becomes wooden, which I love that description. It's just stiff and, and it can't be flexible. And uh, she would work on these without her teacher really knowing. These were sort of her own homework. I was just going to ask that. With. I was going to ask her teacher. Her her main big teacher was Hidalgo, right? Elvira de Hidalgo. And I wondered if if that lady uh, had taught these exercises. But you're saying they were something that Maria sort of um, discovered and and emphasized on her own, huh? Yeah, I think these were. I think these were the 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 show. You know, the etude, basically. Yeah, yeah. They would be, and that's, and here's the other thing I, I want to say kind of parenthetically about these vocalies that I think is really good for the classical singer. Mm-hmm. And we've said this before. You don't have to bring baggage to these because you won't perform them. Exactly. This is the place to to stumble and fall and get back up again. Yeah. yeah. This, is, this repertoire is here for you as a precursor to more difficult repertoire. Yeah. So I always tell the classical singer who is, you know, worrying about not being able to sing x y or z aria you have little mini arias in all of this vocalization material yes i mean these are little mini i mean here's the other thing you can do oh my gosh let's get creative yeah you can put italian words into these songs yep amore uh you know whatever uh felice i don't know just come up with italian words or or in in repertoire you're working on so you know even even choir music where you have a hard word and mm-hmm. and it can help you figure out well where where is that word easier to sing where is it harder to sing how does it have to, um, you know, open or close or 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 be allowed to change as we go through a range or uh, of high to low or a range mm. of soft to loud. Yes. 
Yeah. Now you're talking, we're going back into the Foster world again, right? Yes. Walter Foster world. Where yeah. you, he has those sort of those uh, words mm-hmm. that can color the expression of what's being sung. So if, you know, you could use English words, you could use mm-hmm. Italian words, you could use French words. Yep. And see how those would, would affect the phrase. Uh, those could, that could be a very fun exercise. Just different different vocabulary words. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of this is vocalization. So ah is always good, but you know not everybody's ah is equally free, vocally. <laughs> mm-hmm. So some people may need other kinds of vowels to get to the ah. Uh, I've, I do think these are really fun to sing, and they offer the singer a place to woodshed things. Yeah. Because you know how, how many times have you and I have looked at songs and I we just can't even look at those songs because there's so much baggage in them yeah and these are free free of any psychological baggage because we we won't perform them we're not going to sing them for people also theory wise they they because of the kind of material they are and the amount of time that will be spent on them it encourages the singer to practice their reading skills Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. as well as phrasing as we were Mm -hmm. you know how to phrase a a a strand of a string of notes Mm mm-hmm how do you make a, a string of notes expressive? Yeah. Which is so, which is, I think, vital. I think it's just really important. Because the vocalization material should have that level of musicianship, even in the scale patterns. So the, the uh, Conconia's, the 30 daily exercises are great. At the end, he finishes up with chromatics, which is sort of his final exercise, and just complete uh, up and low, up and down chromatic scales. Uh, and before that, he does some of the gruppetti. Not a whole lot of them, but he does some of them. So you get some of those varied gruppetti and, and embellishments there. Mm-hmm. So those, that's great. And that's that I would consider to be sort of like that. Um, I would consider the Panofka ABC and the Concone 30 Daily Exercises to be branches of the same tree. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're both very similar in what they are in their they scope. They seem to me to be, yeah. Uh, and then when we start doing the collections... So, for example, the Panofka uh, 24 vocalese or any of the Concone, like the 15 vocalese or the 50 vocalese, there's several different volumes that you can get. Those are all music. And so you're sort of applying your vocal technique to the music. Yeah. And uh, they, they are, I think they are wonderful little germs of music and can be really um, useful to, like we said, just solve problems. They can be great problem-solving repertoire. So, Justin, when um, do you know you're a little closer to the college scene than I am? Um, uh, when On juries, mm-hmm. are students ever asked or allowed to sing a vocalese as part of their jury? Or do, does it always have to be, you know, songs and arias? I can't answer that 100%. In mm-hmm. my experience, n- the answer to that was no. Mm. Uh, I wish it were so, mm-hmm. because I think these could be just as just as um, demonstrative of, of skill and acquisition of ability as singing a song, because yeah, it's techni- and, technical. Right, right. And, and especially, you know, it's such a delicate thing with college singers, because a lot of them are not nearly as vocally advanced as their violinist, flutist, yeah. pianist friends, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and they may be doing a total rehash of technique at age 18 mm-hmm. that you will, that it isn't something that the other folks have to do because the other folks have been, you know, playing the same instrument for yeah. 12 or 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking some of these, it would be fabulous to hear some of these on juries because, there's you you get to hear very basic uh, proficiencies, mm-hmm. um, you know. Be pretty cool to hear this in addition to some songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another volume that I just wanted to kind of bring up okay. to everyone's uh, awareness is a collection that was compiled by a gentleman by the name of Eduardo uh, Marzo, and this was compiled in the early, I think, either the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, uh, by Oliver Ditson here in Boston. And this collection is just called The Art of Vocalization. So if you were to go into IMSAP and just look up Marzo, you'll probably, he'll come up. What I think is really great about his collection is it comes in three volumes. I don't think the soprano, bizarrely enough, I don't think the soprano volume is available on IMSLP, but everything else is, if I remember correctly. 
But the books come in three different volumes, and they have been collected from all different uh, Vocalese collections, uh, Bordese, uh, Concone, La Blache, or La Blache, uh, Lamperti, Lutkin, uh, Marchese, Nava, Panofka, Ponceron, Sieber, all these, all these great people. But they come in uh, three books, and they progressively get more and more difficult as they go, which is great. And the, um, the book is also set up so that in each volume, they tell you what is being worked on in each vocalese. So in book one, he has sustained singing, scales, dotted notes, repeated notes, syncopated notes, triplets, mm-hmm. arpeggios, and then gives the number of the vocalese that addresses that particular musical um, uh, issue. So that's fun. And then when he gets into higher volumes, like for example in book three, then he's working on really advanced technical studies as well as phrasing. And then these three different ways of singing, which he calls canto di maniera, expressive singing, dramatic singing, canto declamatorio, and bravura singing, canto di bravura. And uh, has accompanying vocalese for those particular high-level vocal skills. So I would consider those to be very high-level, you know, doctoral candidate, master's candidate stuff. Or or emerging professional sort of vocalization material. So that's fun because he sort of, he, Marto puts them into context in terms of what what they're for. Uh, And I like that because once you sort of can look at a vocalese, you can say to yourself, what's being addressed here? In this vocalese, what is this a vocalese addressing? Yeah, and that's something that when we're looking at either as teachers or singers, you know, looking at the vocalese to say, what am I doing in this vocalese? <laughs> like, what is the is this going to teach me legato? Is this going to teach me thirds? Is this going to teach me even um, cadenzas? Because some of these are really uh, great for cadenza work mm-hmm. uh, as well. So it's it's a, it's a great skill to be able to look at a, uh, a vocalese and ask yourself, what what is this doing? What's the purpose of this? Yeah. But I always have to come back to this idea. Not all vocalises are going to be conducive to your voice. So there's no need to kill yourself trying to do a vocalise that your voice isn't capable of dealing with. It's just going to create more bad habits. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't recommend doing, you know, people, again, it's this idea that these are magic. They're not magic any more than a song is magic. Right. Yeah. Learning how to select material. Whether yeah. it's repertoire, exercises, mm. vocalises, man, that that is such a huge part of becoming a teacher. It is, mm-hmm. it is a big responsibility. Absolutely. There's one other um, set of older exercises I'd like to talk about that's oh, yeah. a, a little different, and this is uh, the ones by Zieber. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's um, the his most well-known work is called 36 eight measure vocalises and he has them for the four basic voice types and what he does in these eight measures they're very much uh musical snippets like it's real uh piano parts um that are independent of the vocal line um and fairly lush like romantic kind of harmonies um and he uses a set of a I didn't. I, I, I'm not sure how many exactly, but something like eight different syllables. For example, um, his first exercise is uh, da me ni po tu la be, um, and then tu la be da me ni po tu la ba. Yeah. So it, it he he uses these in all different positions of of the pitch range, and. Um, all different speeds too. He has some allegros, he has some adagios, uh, but they all have a kind of phrasing that's very musical. It's very, um, very much like it could be from a real song, but turned into mm. these um, nonsense syllables. But the syllables are picked uh, for how, and we've talked about this with Witherspoon and some others, um, how the consonant launches the mm, vowel mm-hmm. you know so um you know p and t being plosive and la be da me ni are all voiced in different ways different parts of the mouth and it's it's kind of an interesting approach and mm. they're lovely little exercises and they're so short 
that they're not intimidating. Yeah, that's, I think, the thing <laughs> that I like about them. Yeah. Like, you're not going to get in too deep into the woods. Yeah, yeah. These, you could consider these could be like uh, beginner, intermediate vocalese. Yeah. For people who want to, you know, want to sort of dive into vocalization material, but are maybe a little frightened of mm -hmm. the vast amount of stuff that's out there, that zebra could be a really great starting point. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, um, the range is very reasonable. Um, they they just touch the high range. Um, the tenor book has a few G sharps and A flats. Oh. Uh, I don't recall right off the bat. I'm looking through right now, but I don't think it even goes to A natural. Oh, okay. Um, it, but it does uh, definitely deal with chunks of passaggio okay. and it's just great. They're just nice little snippets, and they're they're lovely little musical phrases, and they're over before you know it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. A lot of these these tenor these early vocalese uh, books, the tenor voice from for well, I'm thinking of Shakespeare. I'm thinking of William Shakespeare, not the Bard, but the the yeah. the pedagogue. Mm -hmm. His little he has a really fun little chart in his book uh, of the voice uh, register areas of the voice. Yeah. And he was, was of the mind that the B flat, B, C area of the tenor voice were uh, hazardous. <laughs> yeah, right. I've, yes. So danger, a lot danger. of the you know a lot of the vocalization material ends at like an A flat or an A for yeah. a tenor. Yeah. Which for a baritone, I feel a good baritone. That's you know hopefully they have good sturdy A flats and A. Um, but uh, it's interesting to see that cutoff point. So it can be good for younger tenors. Uh, Provided that obviously they don't bring up too much weight through the middle and upper part of the voice, lest they become short-range tenors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, flexibility, I think, is the is the is the takeaway from a lot of these exercises. Yeah, everyone For, has to be able to be flexible. Yeah, oh, all of them. Like even the basses. Like if you look yep. at the the Seber bass collection, it's very fluid. Or you know the Panofka, the Panofka twenty four uh, twenty four vocalese comes. Not only in a in a high voice uh, edition, but I also do believe it comes in a medium low as well. So even the basses have to have movement, in in at least in that tradition. So it was a yeah. it was a value and a demand of the singing style that the voice be flexible and free, and yes, able indeed. to move and not heavy. So there's I think many different ways you can use these in the studio. Um, but now here's a question, mm -hmm. and this will be funny. What about musical theater people? <laughs> yeah well right yeah like the the uh we haven't talked about the the rossini gorgeggi which means mm -hmm. warblings mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but i i that's one set that i have done with musical theater people oh yeah because it's just basic basic musical materials and licks um and one of the things that the rossini does uh that some of these other collections do somewhat but it uh they're they're diatonic sequences so you do mm. something like c d e f g a b c d e f g a oh, b c yeah. d e f g a b c d e so it isn't all major uh uh scales all the yes. time um so so you you can so sometimes i use a couple of the rossinis to get into modes Mm, yeah, uh, I'll say, okay, if we take this piece of his exercise, that's a Dorian mode right there. Um, you know, if I need to get into that with somebody, um, th that's more for the improvisers mm -hmm. uh, and the jazz folks. Um, and then I say, okay, my jazz expertise is now th shot. That's it. Uh, send them oh. off to a good jazz teacher. But um, yes, with musical theater people, I have used some of these old exercises um, and since musical theater is so word-based and so mm. uh, literate, uh, you know, word expressive, um, putting words on some of these is very useful. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I was also too thinking we can also use, if we're in looking for vocalization material, we can use pre-existing repertoire. Right. So, what do you mean you know, by pre-existing? Well, like um, pre uh, songs that have been written already. So, for example, you could use an aria 
as vocalization material, provided oh, that you yeah. sort of you know use use the same sort of process, uh, even if you didn't intend to sing it, right? Even yes. if you didn't sing sing the aria, or or you wanted it like for example, if you wanted to do a seber, you could say, okay, where's my what is it? Eight measures, twelve measures, or it's eight measures, right? Eight measures. Eight measures. Yeah. yeah. So where are my eight measures in this aria, or even where yes. are my eight measures in this musical theater song yep. that I'm going to work on and, and take apart and separate out and work on? Yeah, and and uh, I had a teacher, a flute professor, who is really big into that she she had this uh concept that she had gotten from some great teacher uh called practice cells and so Mm, you take mm -hmm. a a spot from repertoire and you you just practice that section but you were you can work with that section in different ways alter the rhythm of it play it in different keys play it at different volume levels um so so you you pick up this thing that's usually done one certain way in context but you practice it many different ways mm, out that. of context and you can learn things from it and you can sort of see the note relationships and and structure of it inside out sideways you know new vistas so that it isn't just hammering through the phrase the same way all the time oh, I love that I love and that. uh f- so much flute music and piano music and violin music is incredibly virtuosic mm. and you really can't master it unless you can break it down yeah yeah singers singers we need to do that more yeah i think, I think so. that's the admonition i keep telling my own students is yeah when you look at an aria for set for example you need to take that aria and t- take it into a million pieces really tear that aria into a million pieces or that song into a million pieces mm-hmm. and piece by piece by piece by piece perfect it and then stitch it back together. This sort of start at the top of the song and sing your way through it all the way to the end. Um, that's that's just not a, ba- a great way to practice. And, at and least one not thing, in a deep way. Right, right. And the, the other thing is, uh, in the beginning of trying to teach a student how to practice effectively, just to get them to slow down is huge mm-hmm. and very helpful. It's very yes. helpful to sing something slowly before you sing it fast however it has a very different feel both musically and physically when it's slowed down so the other kind of practice i like to do and you could certainly do with these vocalises is very short sections of them up to tempo and Mm. it might start with just two notes like Uh on a difficult leap so let's say you have a leap uh into the passaggio so let's say it's a tenor piece and you're going from a below middle C to F sharp above middle C. Um, you know, you just make that into a practice cell of its own. Mm. A to F, F to A, A to F, F to A. And uh, and then gradually add a note at a time, uh, but always up to tempo. And that, that's a very interesting way. Sometimes with harder music, I will never practice it slowly, but I will practice it uh, additively like that. Mm. And both ways work well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, too, when you have those longer phrases, a, a practice tool that's very helpful is start at the end so that you yes. feel the end of the phrase is yes. full of air and full of, uh, you know, uh, energy. And, yes. And then add more as you go backwards in Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's very helpful for the longer, really long-winded phrases. Yeah. What's it feel like to get to the end of the phrase with plenty of air? Well, start there. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, oh, that's what it feels like. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And work back from there. Yeah, I think it's the, much less yeah. likely to build in panic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or or tightening. Yes. Like, you know, if you can feel the end of the of the roulade or the arpeggios or whatever and feel like, oh, I have enough breath to spare. Yeah. That's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> so working instead of from the front to the back, work from mm-hmm. the back to the front. And man, to tie it back to, you know, the subject of of this episode, being able to do all that on an exercise that isn't going to become a part of your permanent repertoire Mm -hmm. is so valuable. It's so helpful. I mean, it's wisdom of the ages, kids, but believe it, it's true. If you can if you can master some of your difficult stuff on pieces that were designed for that purpose. Right. (laughs) Oh, man, it'll really save you time and. Mm. Uh, learning repertoire and not having to correct mistakes in repertoire you've learned. Yes, yes. And the yeah. skills you get in the simplest of musical phrases uh, sets the standard for the rep. Yeah. 
and you're ready for it. It does. Uh, y- y- nothing surprises you. Yeah, when right. you come to music, right? You don't I have. F- there's no surprises. Yep. There's nothing you go. What? <laughs> yeah. Everything has has been taught. Everything has been instructed. You've gotten everything, and that's what the vocalization material I think tries to do. It tries to say, mm-hmm. here are all the eventualities that you're going to deal with. Yep. Here's how to help you get there. There are a few modern collections that are fabulous too, which um, are you know. Uh, the, the stuff that's in print and copyright that you really should pay for. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a lot of great stuff out there. And especially in the last 30 or 40 years, there's been more really good vocal vocalises for uh, non-classical use. Mm. You know, there's there's some really great ones for uh, jazz singers. Fun. And... Um, you know that's our wish. That's our first million dollar idea. We should make vocalization material for musical theater singers. Yeah, I don't think there's as much, but Mm-mm. maybe someone will. That could be us. fun. Please contact us and tell us. About yeah, it. or but in a jazz style, or you know, in a more yeah. you know contemporary commercial style of, of vocal just vocalization, teaching you. Yeah. How to do the things. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, vocal gestures to be found in all those genres that. Yeah. Perhaps we're not addressed by Panofka. Right. <laughs> yes, I don't think he was imagining uh, the high F above, you know, what is it, F6? F, uh-huh. No, wait, it's, no, it's F5 for the uh, female voice in chest. Or oh, belly, right, right, you know. like defying gravity. Yeah, yeah, he probably wasn't thinking, yeah. oh. He would have been shocked, shocked, I tell you. Indeed. Yeah, but these are great. These are, you know, I would say look at them, look them through. They can be really a fun addition to the students who are needing maybe a transitory musical experience between arias. So young singers, younger singers, Mm -hmm. who are itching to maybe do some arias, vocalization material could be a really great stepping stone for them. Depending on, of course, course, depending on the choice of the vocalese. Mm -hmm. And if they're not singing well... Well, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the vocalies won't help them if their if their if their vocal emission is not correct and healthy. Yeah, and one thing that tends to happen too is even if the vocalese collection is in a very nice graded system of easier to harder, every singer has their quirks. Mm-hmm. So what you said before about going through in order. Through any collection of vocal stuff, that really isn't usually how the human voice develops. It's usually there's some unevenness somewhere where a whole bunch of time needs to be spent in one area, uh, whereas some other areas are already more advanced. So, yeah, I mean, one singer may have terrible time with sort of sostenuto, but be great with agility. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, starting them with sostenuto stuff, which many of those collections start off with, could be a throat killer. Yeah, for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, jump around. I think I think of it as a recipe book. It's like a recipe book. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be jumped around in. That's right. You aren't going to do every hamburger recipe all right. in a row. Every Starting night. with the first one and go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that you know you need, we need to look at these vocalizes, uh, vocalization collection. Uh, excuse me, collections as recipe books, not as uh, linear, you know, texts. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, we have yeah. to read them from cover to cover and do everything, you know, in order, which yeah. many people do with Marchese, which they should stop that. <laughs> people get the Marchese and they're like, okay, I'm doing Marchese number one. I see these YouTube videos. Here's oh, Marchese yeah. number two. Here's Marchese number three. I'm yeah. like, girl, you can't even sing Marchese one. What you talking about? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> get your house in order, girl. Get your house in order. <laughs> oh boy. Yes. But there's a lot of great vocalization material. Um, the, for the newer ones, there is a collection by Elio, I think it's Elio Battaglia, uh, which was published by Ricordi. So these are w- published within the past 10 years. Mm. Fantastic, huge collections of vocalization material mm-hmm. uh, that go more into the modern 20th century style. So yeah, if, I think, if you're looking for more modern stuff, that's a really great place to, to start. And I think his collections are multiple composers, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's the yeah. same sort of idea as, as Marzo. Mm-hmm. He sort of picks everybody and puts them all into one big collection but he does start with the old uh, masters that we were talking about you know the Sieber the Conconi the Panofka mm-hmm. and then he does do uh, things like Respighi oh, cool. who wrote vocalese so those All could right. be really fun to work on and yeah. uh, 
they have no, again, there's no uh, words. It's just vocalization material. Mm-hmm. But very modern. You look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is definitely 20th century yeah. compositional style here. But it's vocalization. So it could be fun for yeah. singers. Good stuff. Yeah, but just go with the health of the voice is what I'm saying. And don't, don't uh, ascribe any powers of transformation to those things that they just don't possess. Yeah. Very good. That's where the technique is so important. You know, the vocal development. Function. The function of the voices has got to be primary. I can't stand hearing a. I'd much rather hear a beautifully sung scale than a badly sung vocalese. Yeah. Truly. I'd much rather hear a beautifully sung octave, you know, mm-hmm. arpeggio scale than any. than someone struggling through a Conconi or Panofka vocalese. Absolutely. Yeah. And th- these vocaleses are a great place to find your weaknesses so you can, yeah. you can work on things. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and again, knowing you'll never have to perform them. Yep. It is a great load off. Yeah. And they can feel the hours of, you know, pandemic times. <laughs> right? <laughs> what can I work on? Work on some of these. Yeah. You know, they can be a great, you know, stand-in for repertoire. If you're a fairly advanced singer, I, I found it useful to, like, bring up an exercise, look at it and go, oh, that looks hard. I better work <laughs> on it. Just, yeah. you know, to give yourself a challenge because it's like sometimes what we resist is – the the thing we need to deal with that's true yeah. <laughs> what who said it who said this what we resist persists who said yeah that? I don't yeah know who said that somebody smart yeah what we resist persists yeah anyway vocalization check them out imslp.org they're all available check them out great and we'll put the names of these yeah. uh yeah. writers in the show notes and so just search on that great Absolutely. thanks justin all righty i'll talk to you soon keep okay. saying later bye Thanks for joining us today on The Voice Culture Podcast. For more information, connect with us on our website, thevoiceculture.com.